let's get on to Abstractus, defining abstract games. Larrett Gartman with Abstractus. We're going to be talking tonight about defining abstract games and like how abstract games really, you know, do fit into modern board gaming. Yeah. So um, when we talk about abstract games, um, uh, we've been talking about them for a while, and everybody knows some of them. Chess, checkers, uh, Parcheesi, Backgammon, all these classic games that people grew up with and their predecessors in various historical forms, but we've never really defined what makes a game an abstract or abstract strategy game versus not. You know, um, the most strict def- definition in, has no random elements um, and no hidden information. They're called perfect information games because both players know everything that they can know about what the other player's board state is by looking at the board. Um, now, there are a few uh, people agree that by that strict definition, it leaves out some pretty important games. Yeah. Um, Stratego uh, is the example that comes to mind immediately because it went on to make so many changes to the block warfare thing. Yeah, yeah. But it has hidden information. You don't know exactly. You know where, but you don't know what. Um, so that's a pretty strict definition, but generally there's n- next to no chance in these games. Um, where at the same time with Stratego, you know where, but not what. But you also know what and not where. Looking for the flags. Oh. It's like two different, like both of those things. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's true. It's true. Uh, I didn't ever think about it like that. Um, so, yeah, there's um, usually perfect or almost entirely perfect information. Uh, no random elements. Um, very few, like, for example, Backgammon is an abstract game, but not an abstract strategy game in that a lot of it's determined by the random roll of the die. Yeah. Um, and you can take a great Backgammon player put them against a medium backgammon player and the great player is going to win almost every time even if they get the most terrible dice rolls um, just because they know the strategy behind it yeah yeah um so you know you think about abstract games the most obvious salient feature of them is their abstractness some of them have a semblance of theme i mean chess is you know warfare but you can look at it and get a little bit of that, but I mean, also you have queens and bishops. Um, it mainly evokes a sort of geometric challenge, you know, a puzzle. And that this guy, uh, J. Mark Thompson, he wrote a, an article about this, not this specifically, but about abstract games and some criteria that he believes makes great abstract games, but that's one of the things he um, he says in his article is that basically... These games are like puzzles. Um, I'm going to just go ahead and read this quote. Um, it's very s- relevant to this. It's, he said that there's an intimate relationship between such games and puzzles. Every por- board position presents the player with the puzzle, what is the best move, which in theory could be solved by logic alone. A good abstract game can therefore be thought of as a family of potentially interesting logic puzzles, and the play consists of each player posing such a puzzle to the other. Good players are the ones who find the most difficult puzzles to present to their opponents. So that's a really interesting way to think about it. I mean, you think about in chess, you're moving, but really what you're doing is countering unless you were first, in which case you are setting the, the stage, setting the, the tempo. It's what's called in chess. And it's, it is. It's a puzzle. People play by mail because you don't, there's no need for it to happen with immediacy. And in fact, contemplation contemplation of it often leads to much better decision making yeah, yeah. than you would if you were playing in a live game or a timed game um so 
we've got no random or very little random elements. We have almost no hidden information or no hidden information. Um, we have a puzzle likeness or a a semblance with puzzles in that you could essentially play them one player. You know, if just making alternating decisions yeah. and, and still have some somewhat of an entertaining time. Um, the absence of theme or the semblance of a theme not having any bearing at all on the game. I mean, if you renamed all the pieces in chess to something different, it wouldn't change the game at all. Um, so that uh, the theme is not important to the game. And in uh, Mr. Thompson's article, he goes into four aspects which he believes make really good abstract games. And all, all games that we play and have been playing for hundreds or thousands of years fill these criteria more or less. So they are depth... Clarity, uh, I love this one, drama, and decisiveness. Okay, so basically he presents them as opposing pairs in that if a game is very clear, it may not be very deep. But if it's very deep, sometimes it's not very clear. And that's pretty evident. I mean, chess, if you look at a difficult chess problem, um, just the board state, um, often the most difficult ones are the ones that look like they have a very easy, obvious move. But it in four or five moves from that move, you lose, you know. So you have to go back to the beginning, set the board back, or, or look back at the original puzzle and see what other move you need to make. So it has a great depth, but it lacks in clarity because of that, that fooling you aspect. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the other two, um, drama and decisiveness. I really like it that he chose drama because – I've, you see these, and you see them res- represented in movies and things, and in reality, it's two people sitting at a table and moving little counters around. But there, if you are in, in the game and you're paying attention and you have some idea of what's going on, they can get extremely dramatic. Um, just knowing what positions people are putting the other player in, see, knowing people's styles, and it's almost like watching a, a sports game yeah. in, in extreme slow sports motion. Ball. Yeah, yeah, in extreme slow motion. Um, but a, a good a good abstract game should have drama. There should be a heightened, a tense state where critical moves can be made or not made, and that loses the game. And that, that's important to it. Yeah, that's got to be where the drama comes from is, like, at least 90% tension. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because those sorts of things can get really tense because you're playing a Euro or really thematic game. You're so into the theme. It doesn't really matter, but you're playing an abstract game. It's almost like the the true goal is to win. I mean, yeah. abstract games lend themselves more to like wanting to win the game. Yes. Competitiveness. Mm-hmm. That is, that is absolutely true. Yeah. That's a good word for wanting to win the game. <laughs> and well, um, they, they also appeal to logic very, yeah. very, um, very well because while euros have rules and they make sense sometimes some aspects of those rules might have to be explained by someone who has played the game more so they can explain what in what scenarios those rules become logical if that makes sense Mm -hmm. in chess it's always logical the right move but it just may not be apparent until a couple of turns later when you see what happened what you set up and what you what you made to happen by doing that move at that time Whereas in a certain Euros, people might say, if you were teaching someone the game, for example, they might say, 
well, that's a silly rule or that's a stupid rule. And then you have to say, well, the reason why this is is because of this and this. And if this happens and then they say, oh, or they say, well, I don't get it until it happens. And then they say, oh, I get that rule now. Well, logic, I mean, um, that goes back to the clarity a little bit. But the the other aspect, the final one, is uh, decisiveness. And so this kind of plays into drama. It's not exactly so, so, to me, it's not so opposed, but in a way it is. It's um, when a game is being lost by a player and they can really come back from what looks to be a very losing position, um, it's very exciting, and that adds to drama. But at the same time, it lacks in decisiveness in that a great player might lose to a really good um, a really good or not as good player some of the time because of the the um, the the game itself. Yeah, yeah. So in chess, you often see this. It's kind of almost the drama in chess is downplayed heavily by the decisiveness, especially when you're watching like world class chess players, because they rarely play to completion. They once they see that the game is lost and that there's no real way to win, they resign because it's a waste of time. They they understand that they have already lost whereas a newer player would play it out and yeah. see. So that you lose a little bit of that drama. And so they are countered, but they're a little bit more um, symbiotic to me, the way that the drama, drama and decisiveness are interconnected. Um, so an abstract game really is a logic puzzle in a way. Um, it really appeals to logic and whereas uh, a good theme game can appeal to your sense of aesthetics or if you're really interested in the theme, like, for example, if it's a historical theme, you might be really interested in that aspect of it. So you're saying... Yeah, or the escapist aspect of it. Yeah, or, yeah. Um, like, for example, we play <coughs> Commands and Colors. At the One of my favorite parts of the game is at the beginning of every scenario, getting the historical little uh, nibble. You get a little chunk of what's going on with each army, what was going on, in their respective worlds Uh and what was at stake in this war. And if you really know it, like I would imagine a a war historian or someone playing the game, they really want to know, well, what if Pickett's charge hadn't happened? Or Mm -hmm. what if, you know, the charge of the light brigade had gone this way? Or what if Sherman's had been a little bit more quick? You know what I mean? They ask these questions. And I've told you, it always like pops in my head, like when we're playing commands and colors and I, do like three really good dice rows and rolls in a row Mm -hmm. and it just like pops into my head like the whole like scene playing out you know what I mean? yeah and that's one of the things i love about dice masters is seeing that comic book action in your head and the mismatch and the and the the senselessness sometimes of it like two people playing with the same character against each other but that stuff happens in comics so it it works perfectly um that um that's something in a theme game that you don't get in an abstract because it's almost pure abstract. You could see, I mean, you see people play chess with most detailed, figured, painted pieces to look like what they're supposed to be, and you see people play chess with washers and bolts and nuts and just, we know that one's the king, you know, but someone looking at him would be like, what in the world are y'all playing? Yeah. Um, you know, the the presentation could, can can add to the game. You know, it's really satisfying sound when you plunk a go piece down yeah. uh, the right way on a on a good nice board. But really, the game is taking place in your head. Well, let me ask you a question about theme and abstract games. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of us, those of you just joining us, uh, Larry here does a segment called Abstractus. He's talking about 
abstract games in general. What yeah. are abstract games? We're just kind of discussing them based on an article Larry yeah. read. Uh, this is Bags and Boards here on KXTR 100.7, Stephenville. So, Larry, let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. So, does a game like Heroclix, mm-hmm. has a game like Heroclix figured out a way to mix, to mix the competitiveness of an abstract game with theme? You know what I mean? Because you take games like that, like, you know, abstract games are so competitive. Mm-hmm. But a game like that, you usually don't see thematic games being like that. I mean, miniatures games sometimes are, but not even when we're playing Ancients or anything like that. Yeah. But, you know, a game like Hero Clicks, like how has the collectible segment of board games, Magic, mm-hmm. Hero Clicks, stuff like that? Well, that's, I, think, um, I think the collectible Is there thing- an abstraction there? I with think those games. they're definitely. I mean, there's definitely. I've, one of the first things that I ever heard about Hero Clicks is it's chess with superheroes, which yeah. is a little bit. I mean, it's apt, but it's also a little off. But uh, it really, it's not really that far off when you start thinking about like Bobby Fischer later when later in his career as a chess master, he advocated people playing randomized beginning positions to advocate player interaction. And in Heroclix, it's not random. You decide, but, I mean, you never know where somebody's going to plop their guy mm-hmm. in their starting space, and that has could have a big effect, especially if you're not familiar with some of their abilities. Like, you don't know this guy at, in the first three turns. If he has adjacent players that are of this affiliation, they get X and X bonus, or, you know, it really can make or break a game, change it. Um, so I think collectible games, they're almost like abstract games to a point. As far as it could go with a theme. Yeah. Um, they, re- they really are, in a lot of ways, especially deck builders, not magic so much in itself, but like now we're getting into Dominion. You're seeing Star Realms get played a whole bunch. Even games like uh, Valley of the Kings we were talking about earlier, it could be anything. You know, the yeah. theme isn't critical. Yeah, and then that's getting into the area of pasted on themes onto board games. Yeah, exactly. Which, then you're getting into Euros there, which... But just as far as true abstract games go, um, let me ask you about another one, dexterity games. Mm. So are dexterity games, while they're classified as dexterity games, technically abstract games? Well... Something uh, like Crokinole or Tumbling Dice or, I mean, because... It's completely abstracted. There's no theme to yeah. games like that. Well, uh, you get into the random element uh, part of it, and um, in the article he makes a really good point. Um, a lot of abstract games are to teach children uh, games. Like they, he, compare, he compares uh, Snakes and Ladders to... Um, sorry, he compares Snakes and Ladders and uh, Settlers of Catan, saying, you know... An adult would never play Snakes and Ladders because it's too random. Yeah. It has so much going on every which way. Children enjoy it, and it teaches them how to play a game. But at the same time, there's no real point for two grown people to play it because there's just no way of telling who's going to win. Whereas in Settlers of Catan, you have a very clear delineation of skill versus unskill. If you take somebody who's played one game and a person who's played 30, 50, 100 games, they're almost always going to win. Yeah. So it, uh, it, I guess it just depends. Um, I would say... I would say they are not as they are not abstract strategy games because aspects of them are random enough that you couldn't make them in your mind. Like people like Bobby Fischer and World Chess Champions, a lot of the gaming they do practice wise is mental. They they just think about moves. 
Like there's a thing I read about Bobby Fischer waking up in the middle of the night, realizing what the winning move is he should have made in a previous night's tournament. I mean, the whole board state, everything in his mind, and dozens and dozens of moves. These guys, it's all mental. They they can project what the effects of a given move are going to be this far into taking into account the variables of what the other player is going to do, but also if they knew who they're going to play and they know their personality, um, what they're likely to make moves. So I would say dexterity games are abstract games for your body and other like the more typically thought of as abstract games are more for a mental they're more mental uh, well, that, cerebral that, experience that's what i like about this article is that this article kind of gets rid of the notion that an abstract game just means that it doesn't have a theme yeah and it there's uh, a lot more to it than that yeah the the real i think stress is like depth and logic um i mean do do things you do in the game always make logical sense and once you understand the games you can always make logical moves um it compares you know chess uh, played by computers has started in the last few years to be able to beat world-class chess players just by brute force computing power they can extrapolate the moves faster than a human mind can and thousands of times in just a few seconds but che <coughs> sorry chess playing computers and game playing computers are they think at least a decade away from beating go champions and it has to do with that mind and then just uh, seeing game states you know what i mean i recently uh, heard something about a computer program that was made by some students at a university that has been able to start like completely beating people at poker yeah which has such a luck element and that it was such heavy computing power that they were able to have the computer play trillions and trillions of hands of poker, like based on every single variable, every single two card pair that you could get every single, you know, turn and river and everything. So, I mean, yeah, wow. the computer thing is really cool. Yeah. Know? See, like, um, I love this. Uh, he makes a Star Trek's uh, next gen reference and it's about the decisiveness element, but data plays this, alien who's really obnoxious and pompous who's uh, the game it's called um, i'm sure star trek fans out there strategema um and he defeats him the first time he plays but data analyzes the game a little bit and thinks about it and realizes it, it's very indecisive and that he he plays this completely defensive very withdrawn strategy that never does what the other player needs you to do to lose he, he does this to this alien and ultimately he convinces the alien that he spent his life mastering a game that was so indecisive it was pointless i mean a child could win if he understood how to defend himself against anything you know so um that element of decisiveness and what the human brings to the game um the computers can do so much but like i said they're um unable to beat go champions just they get clobbered hmm. it's it's wild right yeah um you think about a game like go it's i mean it's basic it's geometry math simple but Ultimately, these computers can't beat human champions at it. It's wild. So, yeah, man, um, I guess the last thing to kind of cap this off here is for people who love board games, mm -hmm. how do you get them to see the relevance of abstract games when there's, you know, such fantastic Euros out there and, like, huge, epic, 
you know, sci-fi, fantasy, these huge thematic games out there. How how do these people see the relevance and like start, you know, talk to me, you know? Yeah. Like how do you get someone to say, this is what an abstract game is about. It's not about like, oh, this is boring because there's no theme. It's It's about this. Like what do I need to bring to it? What are some games that could get somebody into that? Yeah. Well, see, what I found out, um, you know, with my last kind of big project in Abstractus, I was teaching the, my kids uh, these abstract games and extrapolating from that what they like and don't like about various different games, uh, strate- ta- teaching them basic strategy and, and tactics to some extent in some games. But um, as for you, because you're more, you know what you like and, mm-hmm. and you know um, about so many games, I would say you don't have to like abstract games. I mean, they're just one aspect of it. I think, well, this is uh, something. Yeah. Well, take it, take it like a 20-year-old just getting into board gaming. Okay. They've, they've got, they really love Settlers. They've started to buy games. They've got like 20, 30 games, and they're seeing this huge world of all these games. And then somebody puts, you One know. Chess or checkers. Yeah, or something go. like that in front of them. Like, how do you get them to not go, eh, like, how do you get them to not see that as a monopoly? Like, mon- as a monopoly, like, yeah. oh, I don't need that game anymore. Like, I've got these games. Yeah, well, that's, well, I mean, I think abstract games bring they do bring something that themed games don't bring and it's that pure cerebral logical aspect that if you play enough like for example if you played settlers of Catan a thousand times with the same four people um all of you would get a, a, a lot better and everybody would develop their own strategies independently but these games um chess and checkers they they've been played so much that you can still master strategies and lose to people who understand the game better so there's always a little bit more there's a little more depth there that you can eke out of these games like we've played Catan a lot Mm -hmm. i don't think we played it out i mean i still enjoyed playing it but not nearly especially star trek Catan for me yeah but i mean i think you could definitely play a game like settlers of Catan out yeah where you had played so many that every permutation or Every reasonably different permutation had been played more than once, and it was not any longer interesting. Uh, chess, people are still, I mean... People play thousands and thousands of games of chess and still continue to try and master it. Yeah, and there's a another thing is like this game, um, Asmodee, they're doing an OP thing now, but chess has been inherently... I mean, there's worldwide chess rankings. You can get registered play in official tournaments, you will be ranked in worldwide staying. You will have a number. You go to a chess tournament, you tell them their number, and they'll put you in the bracket where you, your skill level dictates. And, I mean, you could do it for your whole life. People do, you know, and never become masters, and they just still always come back to that. So I would say to them, you know, if you're looking for an exercise in logic and – um Almost truly endless depth. Um, like checkers is solved. Chess, and not all abstract games, chess is a lot harder to solve, but it's not impossible. Yeah. But it's humanly very difficult to, to come with every yeah, yeah. possible permutation and every move and counter move that could be made in a series of games based off one. So, it, I mean, I think it just comes down to taste that, uh, in games. 
what what you like about games or why you will you play games um maybe there's some good bridges for that uh like something like the GIF project with Yinch and uh, Zertz or all those uh, GIF project games, like really cool abstract games that people love, or Onitama, which was announced as the third Dice Tower Essentials game, or yeah. The Duke, or yeah. games like that, or uh, Hive, you know. Yeah, there's a, there's so many abstract games, and that usually people make them, they, they either crash or people who find them really like them and then they kind of have a cult Mm -hmm. following and then so i would say find some of these games do some research see what play some games different abstract games and see which ones you like because there's so many variables and so many thousands of them and most of them are available to uh everybody if you have a eight by eight grid you can play so many thousands of games and with washers checkers and you've talked about uh people in africa yeah. Digging holes and getting some rocks and playing a Wale or Mancala. Yeah, well, so many games, and th- those are abstract games too. They're uh, more mathematically based, mm-hmm. but they're definitely abstract and definitely people. There's world, I'm not sure how worldwide popular it is, but I know that there's a big, giant tournaments for a Wale in, in Africa uh, and other countries that it's played in a lot um, outside of the continent of Africa. I know there's a big following in Australia. They really like it there. But um, anyway, I would just say you can't really – you don't have to play them and enjoy them, but it, they they definitely have a place in gaming, and they're a certain type of game. I don't think everybody's going to like them or even like one of them. But um, here, I'll just wrap up with this quote here. Uh, this is from the end of the article by Mr. Thompson. He says – the human spirit is perceived in the mere algebraic notation for the moves. The abstract game, this extraordinary medium of expression, should hold an honored place among the liberal arts. That's very cool, man, because, I mean, you think about how much more seriously abstract games are taken just to society and culture than that's all tr- these games we talk about. That's true. Like, um, people, if, if somebody came to you and said, oh, I'm a worldwide Catan champion... Ten years ago, you wouldn't have had a clue what they were talking about. But if somebody came to you and said, I am the grandmaster chess champion in the world, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'd be kind of impressed. Yeah, me too. I'd be like, sure. whoa. <laughs> you know, this, Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. Here's some money, yeah, drink, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it. they have a they have a, d- a definite place in there. It's just a – I love it. I'm not good at them at all, but I enjoy the mental exercise involved. And it's just um, – you know, different strokes for different folks things uh, in some cases. But I think that there is an abstract game for everybody, and I'm going to find one that you will like. Cool, man. There's a, I'm really hoping I can find some of the Gigamic games. There's some that look really cool. Oh, uh, oh okay. I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, there's a, like Corridors. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, there's a bunch, a whole bunch of them that are really cool looking. Maybe and they, it's the Duke or Hive or something. That's true. I mean... You know? um, the Duke is is really popular. People really like it. There's already some tournament build up followings mm. for that, and uh, and again, it's a great deal like chess. It's just not quite the same, and the variable setup le- lends itself to even more variable positions. It's a bit like shogi in that aspect is that you never know where exactly you're going to start, and you don't always get all your pieces out in the same way your opponent does. So more variance. So but then I think to games like. Splendor and Pagoda, mm. which are hugely abstracted games, but there's a luck element to both of them too. That's so. true. 
I mean, I think maybe that's where those get me, you know? Yeah. But yeah, find an abstract. Just that chance, mm-hmm. that chance element. Yeah. So where can people find this article if they want to check it out? Well, it is on the gamesjournal.com uh, in the article section. It's by J. Mark Thompson. Um, it's called Defining the Abstract, and it's just uh, it's not a very long article, no. uh, maybe like a 1,200 words or something. It's not very long cool. at all. Defining and, the Abstract on thegamesjournal.com. Yeah, he goes into a lot more and with a lot better diction and, and uh, you know, there's a word I'm looking for. Of course, it's failed me. <laughs> um, scholarly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot more scholarly, in-depth, and uh, with better diction. So, yeah, if you want to uh, hear about some of these abstract games, uh, Laird's talked about them on the pa- in the past on Abstractus, so go check it out on our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash bags and boards. That's Abstractus with Lariat Gochtman. Yeah. <laughs>